If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Austin, Texas. If you follow me on social media, you already know that my word count for this episode was double the usual, so this will be two parts because we don't half-ass anything here. But with that, small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Twenty-one-year-old Julie Ann Gonzalez was the kind of person that when you meet her, you connect with her. She had some of the kindest eyes you have ever seen, and you just knew that she was going to be in your life for a reason and for a long time. Back in high school, Julie started dating a guy named George De La Cruz. It was one of those young love type situations where it's hard and fast and the two seem to be in a forever kind of relationship the kind of high school sweethearts that make it last forever. Julie's mom wasn't the biggest fan of George, but she knew her daughter loved him, and as a mom, you know that the more you push your kids to do what you want to do, the more likely they're going to do what they want to do. Julie wasn't the rebellious type in any sense of the word, but her mom felt like she needed to support her daughter, so that's what she did. Sure, she didn't love the guy, but there weren't any overt indicators that George would be any kind of actual problem. Sure, he liked video games a little too much, and she might not have seen everything in him that Julie did, but again, her daughter saw something promising in him, so she supported Julie. While in high school, Julie earned a scholarship to St. Edward's University. It was a huge deal. She was starting the rest of her life, and she didn't even have to pay for it. I mean, what more could you ask for? With her scholarship in hand, she headed off to college and took it really seriously. She was there to get an education and to make something of herself. While in college, she continued her relationship with George and everything seemed to be going great. They even got married. Her entire life was going according to plan. That is until she found out that she was pregnant. Knowing she was going to have to provide for a baby, which, by the way, was going to be her daughter, she felt like she had no choice but to leave school and get a job. But not just any job. Julie didn't do anything half-assed, so she became a pharmacy technician, getting a job at a Walgreens in Austin, Texas. A pretty big deal for someone her age. When she made the decision to leave that scholarship behind, she knew she didn't want just any job. She wanted a career. She was starting a family and wanted to be a good role model for her daughter. And frankly, having a kid is not cheap. 
I'd love to say that Julie going to college, then getting a big girl job, or the fact that they were about to start a family changed George at all, but it did not. He freeze-tagged himself into adolescence, and his priorities were still video games. The fact that he was going to be a father to a beautiful little girl didn't seem to motivate him at all, and by the time Julie went into labor, they were both living with his mom at his mom's house. Not exactly the ideal situation, but it gets worse. Julie's mom told KXAN that when Julie went into labor, George couldn't be bothered to put the PlayStation down. Maybe it was an Xbox, maybe it was a GameCube, maybe it was a PlayStation. Who freaking knows? It was a video game and he was a turd. The gaming world needed his attention and his contracting wife and impending infant could wait. Giving baby daddy energy, George and Julie did make it to the hospital and shortly thereafter, the two welcomed a beautiful little girl who we're going to refer to as Ava. The two became a family of three living under George's mom's roof. And while Julie returned back to work, hoping maybe a daughter would be enough to motivate George to grow the hell up, that's not what happened. Unfortunately, she married a man baby and eventually she reached her breaking point. He wasn't supportive in any way, emotionally or financially, and he definitely wasn't father of the year. So eventually, Julie was just done. She wanted out of the marriage and as far away from George as possible. By 2010, 21-year-old Julie was going through a divorce, a divorce that George didn't want any part of. He refused to sign the papers. He played endless mind games while she did whatever she could to pacify him long enough to co-parent their daughter. They'd agreed on a day-to-day -day custody schedule where Julie would have the now two-year-old Ava one day and George would have her the next. It seems a little exhausting, but at that point in Ava's life, it wasn't a huge inconvenience. When kids are older and they're not staying in one place for very long, it can be a little taxing on them. But as a toddler, Ava was able to spend half of her time with her mom and half of her time with her dad. It worked for them and neither parent was having to go through the agony of not spending much time with their child. So Julie and George were on this day-to-day -day schedule, but at some point, George's visitation became supervised. Of course, he lived with his mom, so technically they were probably supervised by default, but this change was put into place for a reason. And whatever that reason was, maybe it was the same reason that whenever Julie went to get Ava from George's house, she never went alone. It was never just her and George, there was always a buffer in place. March 26, 2010 started out like any other Friday for Julie. According to KXAN, she had spent the previous night with her newish boyfriend, Aaron. They'd had dinner together, hung out, and that morning at around 6 a.m. before he left for work, Aaron told Julie that he loved her and kissed her goodbye. According to reporter and true crime TV show host Jane Velez Mitchell, who we'll be referring to as JVM, Julie's plans for the rest of the day consisted of going down to the courthouse to actually pay to have George serve with the divorce papers because he was still refusing to sign them. After that, she planned on going over to George's house and picking up Ava. Spending time away from her daughter was the hardest part of her life, and their time apart was really just a countdown until they'd be together again. But Julie and Ava would never be together again. Julie had all sorts of plans for that day, but what happened after Julie's boyfriend kissed her goodbye that morning 
would become one of the biggest question marks in Austin, Texas. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. According to George, Julie came over to his house that night alone between 10 and 11 a.m., but she didn't pick up Ava. Instead, he claims that Julie asked him if he could keep her for a few extra days, meaning the entire weekend, a request that didn't sound like Julie at all because, remember, George had supervised visitation and that day-to-day visitation schedule. Nonetheless, that's what George claimed happened. He told Fox 7 she was kind of down. She was like not there, kind of like spaced out. He told JVM that Julie told him, I'll call you whenever I want her. He claims that he asked Julie if that would be over the weekend and that Julie told him yes. So according to George's version of events, Julie did plan to come back at some point that weekend, but she never did. It was George's mom that actually wound up calling the police. It wasn't because she was worried about Julie. It seemed like she was more so trying to cover George's ass. You know, in case it was a trap and Julie ever tried to claim he wasn't abiding by the court order or that he was refusing to give her back. George's mom wanted to make sure the police knew that Julie was the one who had requested George to hold on to Ava past his scheduled time. Over the next few days, family and friends started to get texts from Julie's phone, but they didn't sound like Julie at all. And when they texted back asking to call so they could physically hear her voice, it never happened. She refused to talk to anyone on the phone, and if they called, she'd put it through to voicemail, but she would always text back. So the red flags were raising in Creepville, and they knew that something was wrong. They just couldn't exactly prove it. None of it sounded like her, not the behavior, not the content of her text messages, and the content of her MySpace statuses were also coming in hot. A typical MySpace update from Julie would be positive, motivational, or some kind of inspirational quote. But after reportedly asking George to take over her time with Ava, they got kind of dark, a stark contrast to her usual content. She posted that she wanted to run away and for everyone to leave her alone. And I'm just going to point out that if you're running away and you want people to leave you alone, you're probably not going to post about it on MySpace so people can drop 50 different comments not leaving you alone. But I digress. At 1243, just hours after George claims Julie left his house, There was a mobile status update to her MySpace that read, I wanted to run away and I'm sick of the BS in my life. Something that didn't really correlate with her current mindset. This was supposed to be a kind of fresh start to her life. This wasn't a time of bullshit. Sure, George was a pain in her ass, but she was just steps away from him being nothing more than Ava's father. 
She had a new man in her life who valued, respected, and loved her. A great job, was independent, and this was really the beginning of everything. So saying she wanted to run away from it all and was sick of the bullshit did not track. On March 28th, two days after George claims Julie walked away from his mommy's house, leaving her daughter behind, there was another update to Julie's MySpace. It read, Just wanted to say I'm okay and that people shouldn't worry about me and stop bothering me. I want to enjoy my time. Along with that update, she changed her displayed mood to adventurous. While the status did go along with her previous one and matched the story George was telling, it wasn't written the way Julie would normally type. The punctuation was off and Julie knew how to type like an adult. The last login on her MySpace was on March 31st, five days after she disappeared. Once again, it was posted using some kind of mobile device, which wasn't out of the norm because according to JVM, Julie didn't have a computer. But we can eliminate the idea that she's somewhere surfing the internet on a desktop as opposed to the primary access of a phone. While all of those MySpace updates were being posted, it was becoming more and more apparent to everyone who knew and loved Julie that she hadn't just up and walked away from her life, she was missing. She had a job she loved, a boyfriend she was making plans with, and her new life was just beginning. I know that I've said that a lot of times in this episode, but I cannot stress it enough. This was good for her. All of these changes were good. And while all of that would have been convincing enough, that wasn't what sealed the deal with her family. It was the fact that Julie hadn't so much as sent a text to check up on Ava. If there was one thing in this world that Julie would never walk away from, it was her daughter. Her family knew without a single doubt that something was very, very wrong. Their suspicions only multiplied when on March 28th, the car she had saved up to buy just three weeks prior was found abandoned in a Walgreens parking lot. Knowing she worked at a Walgreens, you might think, oh, she went to a familiar place and got a ride somewhere else, but this wasn't the Walgreens that she worked at. This Walgreens was less than a half a mile from George's house and 100% within walking distance. And if we have learned anything from true crime, it's that when a vehicle is abandoned, the person who left it there more than likely lives within walking distance. It's either that or someone else is involved and gave said person a ride back. I mean, it's possible the abandoned E could have driven their own vehicle there in preparation and then hopped in their own car to drive back to their house, but then it wouldn't need to be so close. Regardless, it's all really stupid considering pharmacies have cameras all over the place. At least you would think they would. I haven't seen one mention of any video showing who parked Julie's car there. Finding Julie's car in that parking lot confirmed every fear her family had. Her aunt told JVM that they went inside hoping against hope that they would find her walking down an aisle, but she wasn't there. Her aunt told KXAN that she actually parked her own car beside Julie's that night and slept there, hoping that maybe Julie would come back to get her car, but Julie never did come back. Not knowing what else to do, her family looked inside her abandoned car and the things that you would need to run away were indeed gone. Her wallet wasn't in there and neither was her phone, so maybe it was possible that she did leave on her own. It didn't sound like something she would do, but with this and the fact that her MySpace updates aligned with George's story, maybe he was telling the truth. 
Then again, maybe not. Because what was left in her car was peculiar. It was baby medicine meant for Ava. Why would Julie pick up medicine for her toddler just to ask her soon-to-be ex to keep her and not give him the medicine? It's never been confirmed what medicine was left in Julie's car, but JVM did mention that Ava had asthma. If this medicine was going to help Ava do something as basic as breathing, it's hard to imagine Julie not leaving it with George. According to various reports online, police did not fingerprint Julie's car after it was found by her aunt, or really process it at all. As someone rallying behind the victim and their family in this case, that's infuriating, but their reasoning was that there was no indication of foul play. Julie was an adult. Her family knew her on a deeper level than any detective could. They could look at this situation and immediately know that something was wrong, but the police can't do the same. They have to operate on facts and probable cause, and the facts here were that she was an adult, she could leave if she wanted to, and they had no tangible evidence at that point that pointed them in the direction of anything nefarious. The only thing Julie's family could do at that point was hope the police were right, but that didn't mean they were just going to sit down and wait. They hit the streets with flyers, photos, and even hosted a barbecue where they raised money for a reward for information and possibly a private investigator. They wanted to know if anybody saw her, if they noticed anything weird the night she disappeared. Her family even created a website called HelpFindJulieAnnGonzalez.com. If there was any information out there, they wanted to know about it. Any step closer to finding Julie was a step in the right direction. Someone, somewhere, had to know something. Her cousin told KXAN, I just hope that I open my door one day and she's walking down the street towards my house. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. that was going on, George wasn't holding out or laying low at all. Instead, he was updating his own MySpace account, writing about how concerned he was about his estranged ex-wife. It seemed like he wanted everyone to know she was missing and that he was pretty distraught about her disappearance. This is the point in Julie's case where things start to get confusing. Fox 7 made a report that she was last seen at a Walgreens, but according to every other report until this point, the consensus was that she was last seen by George when she asked him to keep Ava. New information usually feels like a break in the case, and people following Julie's case started to wonder what the real story was. Her car had been found at a Walgreens, but the article didn't specify which Walgreens she'd last been seen at. This was either new information or misinformation, but to everyone just joining in on her case, it was the new narrative. 
The conflicting detail aside, Fox 7 also reported that there had been no activity on Julie's cell phone or credit cards since she disappeared. Once again, kind of conflicting to what we already heard. We know her friends and family had gotten texts from her in the days after she was last seen, so how was there no activity on her cell phone? And her MySpace had been updating using a mobile device, so was this saying that it wasn't her phone that had done the updating? The new article seemed to leave the public with more questions than answers. The impact Julie's disappearance had on her family was immeasurable, especially when it came to her daughter Ava. She might have only been two at the time, but she knew how much her mom loved her and thus knew that something was not right. Julie's mom told KVUE that Ava had been asking where mommy was. Julie's mom had initially told Ava that mommy was at work, but that explanation wasn't cutting it anymore and she didn't know what to tell her granddaughter. By April 27th, more than a month after Julie went missing, George finally spoke to the media and recounted his last encounter with Julie. He told Fox 7, Yeah, I was the last person to see her. I understand I'm the suspect, but like I said, I don't have nothing to be afraid of. I didn't do nothing. An interesting quote considering the fact that he hadn't been named a suspect, let alone a person of interest. In fact, police explicitly stated that they didn't even suspect foul play at that point. So clearly there was some dialogue going on in the background that the public wasn't privy to, whether it was from any actual indication he was being looked into or just the notion that the husband did it is usually the go-to in cases like this was TBD. His quote did, however, scratch the report of Julie being last seen at the Walgreens and reaffirm the fact that George was the last person to see her. The timeline is officially that Julie was last seen between 10 and 11 a.m. at George's house on the night she disappeared. One day later, things took a weird turn that I don't think anyone saw coming. JVM, a.k.a. Julie Velez Mitchell, has a true crime talk show and she is phenomenal. JVM has given endless fucks about Julie's case and was always there to keep her name in the media when no one else was. The flow of her show is similar to Nancy Grace's where she interviews friends and family of the victim and oftentimes people can call in and ask questions or give their input. JVM was having this entire breakdown on her show about Julie's case when none other than George de la Cruz called in. He knew Julie's family thought he was somehow involved in her disappearance, and yet he picked up his phone and called into the show. And you might feel like this is the point where everybody agrees with Julie's family that George is somehow involved, but it kind of had the opposite effect. I went online to see what people's real-time reactions were to George's interview, and most people seem to agree that he sounded genuine and his story seemed credible. That if he was lying, he was a phenomenal actor. One comment saying that if it turns out George is involved, he is a true sociopath. Another person commented, if he harmed Julie, he's the best I've ever seen. To be fair, though, I do want to include that there were a few people who felt like he was on a cover your ass mission. And maybe that's because friends and family who spoke on JVM's show gave a little more context into what it was like to be in George and Julie's relationship. They said that George would leave notes for her everywhere, like on her windshield, 
and once called her to tell her to look in Ava's diaper bag. I suppose it had taken her too long to react to the suicide note he had left her in it. He'd slipped it in there right after Julie decided that she'd had enough and was officially ending their marriage. And that note was not an empty threat. The suicide incident happened in January of 2010. And according to the family's website, he did wind up taking a bunch of over-the-counter medications in an attempt to overdose and was hospitalized for it. From everything I could find, it looks like that's the incident that led to George being put on supervised visitation. 0% of George wanted this divorce, which is ironic because 0% of George seemed to want to put in any kind of effort into his marriage. But toxic is as toxic does, and his behavior was screaming, if I can't have her, nobody can. George did wind up signing those divorce papers, but not until after Julie went missing. The bombshells were dropping one after another on JVM's show, and one new piece of information was that after Julie went missing, she texted a friend about a man named James. Now, her boyfriend's name was Aaron, her estranged husband's name was George, so who in this shiny new fuck was James? According to one friend, Julie explained that this James character was going to take her away for the weekend to show her the new house he had bought in Colorado that he wanted to show her a good time. The introduction of the elusive James only seemed to come from one single friend, though, whereas all of her other friends had never heard of the guy, let alone any weekend trip to Colorado that she had planned with him. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah. The next bombshell on JVM was contradictory to that earlier Fox 7 report that said Julie's credit cards hadn't shown any activity since she disappeared. Her aunt told the show that when she was going through Julie's bank records, she noticed that her credit card had been used at a Best Buy 12 days after she disappeared. And of all the things you could buy at a Best Buy, her card was used to buy the movie The Spiderwick Chronicles, a movie that had been released about two years prior and is not an adult movie by any means. It's made for children probably between the ages of 5 and 14, and it doesn't seem like a movie that neither Julie nor George would be interested in and too mature for their two-year-old to understand. During the show, Julie's family stated that it was a long-legged female who had bought the movie. And because Julie is only five feet tall, they don't believe it was her. There's no mention of what kind of vehicle the long-legged female got into or whether or not they were alone or with someone else. So it sounds like there's probably video footage of the person checking out with Julie's credit card, but none of said person getting into any kind of vehicle or what direction they took off in. What I do want to point out, though, is that there's no mention of this particular Best Buy being out of state, let alone outside of Austin, Texas. 
if the new story was that Julie was leaving to go to Colorado and have a good time with some dude named James, I feel like they would have mentioned if the movie purchase was made anywhere outside of Austin. So it feels like this Best Buy purchase was local, meaning the Colorado story is bullshit and Julie likely never left the area. If she never left Austin, who was using her credit card to buy a movie for tweens? Imagine your criminal mastermindedness coming to an end because you couldn't stop yourself from buying the Spiderwick Chronicles. After going over the video from Best Buy, Julie's family told JVM about how the night Julie disappeared, someone had walked into the Walgreens her car was abandoned at and told an employee that they were having car trouble, asking them not to tow it. When Julie's family heard about the encounter, they rushed to the store and spoke to the clerk to see if anyone might recognize Julie and be able to confirm whether or not it was her. Because if so, maybe George wasn't involved in this at all. Maybe what he was saying was true because otherwise this would be a wild coincidence. But in the end, the clerk couldn't confirm nor deny that the person who came in with the car trouble was Julie. It'd be great if he could remember what the mystery woman looked like, but when everyday things are happening, you're not usually thinking about whether or not you're going to be questioned about it during an investigation. Following the JVM episode, the public perception of Julie's case got a little wonky. Some almost felt like Julie's family was too involved, having access to her phone records and her bank account, and really knowing everything about her life. And for whatever reason, some started to turn their backs on them and kind of gave George a pat on the back. Many members of the public commented that George seemed reliable, while Julie's family was seen as overbearing and dramatic. This is the double-edged sword of today's infatuation with true crime. Everyone wants to know more, some even making the mistake of thinking they deserve information on an open investigation. But the reality is, you get what you get and you don't get to dictate what that is. The problem here is that some people want to consume true crime, but they want to do it on their own terms. It's like they speed right past armchair detective and straight to armchair judge and jury. Families want to keep their loved ones in the media because the more people who know about it, the more likely a person is going to be seen and recognized. But with that, you get people overanalyzing everything that's said. Are their tenses off? Does their reaction align with what I think mine would be? If not, it must be wrong. In Julie's case, her family wanted nothing more than for her name and photo to be seen on a national platform and to maybe push the police in the direction of, hey, hop on board with this because something is wrong here. But it almost seemed to have the opposite effect. The public started to wonder if maybe Julie did run away. Some even suggested that she ran away because she was tired of her family intervening in her life. I can only imagine how heartbreaking that was for her family at this point. Whether it was the Julie Velez Mitchell show or a break in the investigation, the Austin Police Department finally announced that Julie's status was escalated to missing and endangered. The department added that everyone was under a microscope at this point, but that they were basically stuck when it comes to the investigation. They still didn't have any evidence suggesting foul play, and because of that, they couldn't search her vehicle or go through her phone records because there was no probable cause that something bad had happened. Time and time again, George told the public that he'd be willing to take a polygraph test. So on a May 14th episode of Dr. Freaking Phil, 
O'Phil McGraw decided to take George up on that offer. The Oh Shit Band was center stage and all anyone cared about was the finale because it was actually a two-part episode so the suspense was palpable. Unfortunately, the episode was also titled Runaway Mom. So while Julie's case was once again getting national media coverage, just looking at the title of the episodes could put a viewer into the mindset that Julie ran off, which is a shame because the episodes had a lot of meat to them. During the Dr. Phil episodes, we learned that the day after Julie went missing, her mother and aunt saw George and noticed what they called deep scratches on his face down his nose. He blamed the scratches on two-year-old Ava, but as Julie's family said, she had really short nails. I was able to find a picture of those purported scratches, and they did kind of look like they could have come from fingernails, but both adults and children have fingernails. Brand new information, I know, but it's the fact that they were there the day after his estranged wife went missing that made them suspicious, especially considering the climate of their relationship. George said that he should have had more scratches on him if there was a struggle. But Julie's mom pointed out that the day they noticed the scratches, he was wearing long sleeves. So maybe he did and they just couldn't see them. After finding out about the long sleeves, I looked up the weather that day and there was a low of 48 and a high of 68. In Austin, Texas, where the sun is an air fryer, those temperatures might be considered on the low end and just cool enough to be able to justify wearing long sleeves. So maybe suspicious, maybe not. The back and forth during the Dr. Phil episodes was pretty intense. Julie's mom accused George of harassing Julie constantly, saying that Julie actually decided not to set up a voicemail on her phone, so George would be forced to put everything he wanted to say to her in writing, which is brilliant, by the way. George deflected all of that and instead tried to flip Julie's case all the way around, upside down, and through the looking glass. He claimed to have evidence that a family member of Julie's might know where she is. He didn't say what that evidence was, but he did reference her MySpace. And while that's a gaspable moment, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Her family had been spearheading the public's consumption of Julie's case. If Julie wasn't actually missing, I can't imagine that they'd be standing in the streets with flyers, organizing fundraisers for reward money and private investigators, or sleeping in a Walgreens parking lot. At the end of episode two, George's polygraph results were in. Prior to his test being administered, someone who claimed to know his family posted a comment on a blog saying that the results were going to clear him. She was pretty adamant that everything people said about him was crap, but her rage against the machine was not going to end well. George flunked that polygraph like eighth grade algebra, and the man who at one point seemed to come off as credible and believable was officially public enemy number one. Those comments about him being a true sociopath if he wound up being involved held a whole new meaning. One person commented online saying, George is totally nuts and guilty of murder. An interesting conclusion to a double feature titled Runaway Mom. Who knows if it was the Dr. Phil episodes as a whole, the polygraph results, or something else entirely, but the same day that episode aired, news broke that Austin police were serving a search warrant on a home on Garden Oaks Drive which is real close to that Walgreens where Julie's car was found abandoned. 
Reports stated that police weren't going to specify why the home was relevant to the case, but I will. Unfortunately, though, that's going to have to wait until next week. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Julie's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case that you would like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you part two next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of this episode and it's time to share a review because you guys are the best and you deserve all the thanks for being the coolest listeners ever. This one is from Kelly minus 10 and reads, I can sum up this podcast in two sentences. One, this is the best true crime podcast out there. Two, that last sentence was not a lie. XOXO Kelly. Kelly, you understood the assignment and I understand yours. You're the best and my favorite person of the day. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do something that made mine. I love you and appreciate you more than you could ever know. You guys are the best. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.